everybody, and welcome back to another All the WrestleManias. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwald. And we're happy to be back in the studio with you today. Happy to talk a little bit about some wrestling news and updates and talk about two specials this time. We're calling this a bit of a uh, wrestling grab bag episode. So it's a little departure from our usual format where we look at one event and kind of stick with that. Uh, we've got three different things that we want to chat with you about today. Um so right from the top, I think we'll we'll dive right into the first thing, and that was on Sunday, May 15th, Rich and I had a chance to attend Celeb Fest 4 uh, here in Millersville, Maryland, which is a little bit south of Baltimore. It was billed as Celeb Fest Baltimore, but that's it's not really that close to Baltimore. And uh, it was a event sponsored by Maryland Championship Wrestling, MCW, and they had a ton of pro wrestling stars of past and present, uh, AEW folks, you know, Britt Baker, Sting was one of the big draws the hardy brothers were another big draw so we just thought we'd talk a little bit about our experience there and um i think we both had a had a really good time i i don't know if either of us knew quite what to expect for this kind of thing had you ever been to this kind of event before rich no so i've been to like like a wrestling show that also had some famous wrestlers at it that was going to have like a couple people doing signings but nothing to where like the entire room is this filled with well-known wrestlers and sitting at tables and you go to them to to get signatures and, and photos and stuff like that. Yeah, same here. I had gone to a, a show at a uh, <laughs> at like a junior high uh, gym actually in Hagerstown in probably ninety nine or two thousand or so. And they had the card, you know, the local it was a local the local Hagerstown wrestling uh, school there was doing the show, but King Kong Bundy was there and George Animal Steel and I feel like one of the Freebirds maybe was also there. Um, so those guys were there to do autographs. And, they, you know, they put in a little bit of work, but that was not the main. It was to sell a few extra tickets, but it wasn't the main thing. Uh, there was going to be a wrestling show after this uh, there. And I think the Hardy Boys were going to fight in it. But I think they were the only ones that were doing the double duty. So I don't think like Thunder Rosa was, was going to throw down in the Benfield Sports Arena in Millersville. That was not adequately air conditioned for this event whatsoever. Oh my God. It was so hot. <laughs> there were a ton of people at this thing. It's not a huge venue, but um, the, the line was out to the uh, street. It's sort of in a weird place, kind of between the highway and an office park. I'd never actually been there before. I've lived in this area for going on 20 years. Um, the office that we went to for the closing on our house is like right next to it. <laughs> Actually, it was <laughs> like, oh, funny. I've been here before. And That's this is funny. where I came to buy a house. Yeah. And this, the sports thing sort of shares like the, the same block with, I, I don't know what it was in there. It was like a DUI attorney or I don't know what else was in there or some other things. So Yeah, it was an interesting little location here. But <laughs> so I, I know I had some folks I was definitely, um, primarily there to see who was top on your list well i i bought advanced uh photo op tickets for both sting and for jake the snake roberts and that was mainly because i had to be in towson which is on the other side of baltimore by 315 and i didn't want to like also miss out on seeing them and Sting wasn't going to show up until one o'clock. So that gave me a very short window and I knew it was going to be a big draw. So I bought advanced tickets for him with a fast pass. So I got to be in the special line to go fast. <laughs> and uh, and I got Jake the Snake. But Jake the Snake didn't have as much of a line as I expected. And so I was able to just like walk right up, get my photo with him, get him to sign one of our awesome little business cards. 
and have a little chat with him briefly. And that was, that was very cool. Sting on the other hand, his, his line was wrapped around the building basically uh, went from wall to wall. So I was very happy that I got in the fast pass line and they gave me a little bit of a hassle because they had this weird system where you had to take your mobile ticket to a table to get another ticket to give them. And they didn't give me that ticket when I went to the table and the guy gave me a bit of a hassle, but eventually just let me get my photo with Sting and move on with life because I wasn't like trying to get signatures or anything. It was like, literally, let me stand next to the icon, (laughs) get my photo and I will leave. It's not like you're going to ask him to co-sign a mortgage or anything. Just uh, taking literally 30 seconds of his time. Right. Like um, I'm not serving him papers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be a funny way to do that if you had to serve just buy a ticket and step right up. Are you staying? You've been served. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, actually pleasantly surprised by how, well, especially once the lines formed for Sting and the Hardy Boys, that was probably like 80% of the people in attendance. And you could basically float yeah. around to all the other tables and talk to folks. I mean, kind of at length, like some of them were, you know, more interested in chatting than others. Um, so the big one for me, so I had two that were really top of my list. Um, one was Greg the Hammer Valentine. And the other, of course, being Tito Santana, both of whom we've talked about quite a bit on this show, um, both of whom, you know, I really respect as as performers, as guys who've been around and done a lot of stuff and just, you know, always just a real pleasure to watch. Unfortunately, Tito didn't show. Apparently, one of the organizers told us he got a text from him and it's something was going on with his knee. And so he didn't want to make the drive down from Jersey. So that was, that was kind of disappointing. But um, I'll hopefully be able to catch him at another thing. Greg. Uh, Valentine was like right there. I walked in, so I didn't have a fast pass, so I didn't have to get in like the second special line. So once I came in the front door, basically the guy's like, if you don't need the second pass, you know, the second wristband, you can go on through. So I just breezed on through and Greg's just hanging out and like, I'm going to just walk up and talking to Greg Valentine, you know, and, um, and so he was a little, um, he was a little cranky. He seemed a little befuddled, honestly, because he was he was there by himself. He didn't have like a you know like a management company or something handling the the tickets and the sales. So he was like managing his own cash and all this stuff. But uh, I did I kind of talked to him a little bit about you know some of the things that we've been really enjoying. I talked to him a little bit about the him and the uh, steel cage against Tito on that WWF grudge matches compilation that's on the Peacock. Talked about that front bump of his where he like used to just fall over like a big tree, and he kind of right. like chuckled a little bit about that and you know he kind of like loosened up a little bit he's like oh yeah he's like that used one that one used to give me headaches <laughs> <laughs> so um so that i mean that was really cool i took a picture with him with the uh intercontinental belt which he still has which is very cool um i bought an autograph i asked him he had a bunch of different pictures i asked him which one was his favorite and the one that he pointed out was from 75 from la when he won the um nwa america's what was it? The America's heavyweight championship belt, something along those lines. Um, and he's just a bloody mess in that picture. So that, that was, that was very cool. It is a photo of Greg, the hammer Valentine winning the NWA America's heavyweight championship while working with the NWA Hollywood wrestling promotion. Yeah, I was uh, surprised too, like you said, that like Sting and the Hardys 
and like Britt Baker kind of just like pulled 80, 85% of the crowd into standing in line the whole time. And so it was really cool. I got to walk up and talk to Rikishi a little bit, got an autograph from and photo with Rikishi, uh, met, um, Nick Aldis, Nick Aldis didn't have much of a line, even though the dude is awesome and super cool. He was kind of funny. Cause he was like, well, which one of my photos do you want mate? And, uh, I was like, I'll take, uh, this one here with the championship belt. He's like, ah, you like the dirty handsome one. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so he was super cool. And like, he also came out from behind the table to get the photo, uh, with, and oh, stuff nice. like that and shook hands and, um, we got to, and we both met Dante Martin. That was cool. And we met powerhouse Hobbs. Yeah, he, Dante was super nice. Um, he was like, he seemed, I mean, he seemed, you know, he's such, he's a, such a young guy. I think he's maybe still a little bit, uh, you know, humbled by all of it. Yeah. Right. Like, um, so I was telling him, you know, how much we really like his work and how much, um, you know, that we had been in the crowd for that, sh- that dynamite show in Baltimore a couple weeks back and how we thought he and Ray Phoenix had the match of the night. He was like, Oh, thanks man. Thanks. And I was like, so I, that was cool. I told him that he was my wife's favorite, but I don't take that personally. I mean, he's a handsome guy. What are you, you yeah. going to do? And he probably got freaked out because I said the exact same thing to him minus the wife thing. <laughs> and like, we were both wearing the same shirt and stuff like that. It was like, wait a minute. Like two guys just came up to me, told me, that they were at the Baltimore show wearing the same shirt and they both liked the Ray Phoenix match. And that threw, <laughs> I'd imagine that confused them a little bit. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Again, I was really surprised. Like Rikishi, I thought Rikishi would be a much bigger deal, um, but he was just hanging out in the corner. He was like wearing a track suit and a little like Kangol hat and his sunglasses. He was just yeah. chilling. I was really excited to see Haku. He yeah. was in the other far corner. Uh, he looks fantastic. Like he just, um, he's very, you know, very soft-spoken, very, very humble guy. Um, he shook my hand like three, four times, uh, I, you know, with COVID and stuff, I didn't know, I, you know, I kind of tried to give people space, um, and I had my mask, but then I, you know, I was taking it off a little bit when I was talking to the actual wrestlers. Cause I, I don't know, just a little personal, but you know, he's like, we come back behind the table with him and shook my hand a couple times. And I, I told him again, that we've been watching some of these old matches that we really, really liked his super kick. You know, he used to lay right up under guys' chins and knock him out. And also that, you know, that he would always be the king. <laughs> so I bought the, I bought the picture of him in the purple, uh, purple robe and crown. So very, very nice guy. I also met, uh, let's see, Brett Azar, who plays the yes. Iron Sheik on Young Rock. He was a trip. He's got he's got more muscles than I think there are muscles. He um, might have been the most physically fit person there, and we're in a room of professional Jesus. wrestlers. <laughs> like, yeah. That guy was a monster. Yeah, he was huge. He was super nice. He talked a little bit about, um, oh, I was going to tell you this story, actually. So I asked him, I said, you know, did you talk to the real Sheik at all, you know, and getting ready to play this role? He's like, well, I, I uh, FaceTimed a little bit, but he didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> so he said... <laughs> He's like, he's like, I told him, you know, I'm going to be on this show and I'm going to play you. He's like, oh, you want me to do a show? How much you pay me? <laughs> <laughs> and he was trying to tell him, that, you know, he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going out to California. I'm going, I was like, okay, I, California, I come. How much you pay me? Nice. <laughs> he's like, no, you're going to, you're going to stay there. I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. Apparently it was a little bit of a communication breakdown, but that was oh, cute. Chic is always the chic. It's never, it's not yeah. really a gimmick with him. Huh? <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, you know Brett Azar is doing the doing the voice that he does on the show, which was fantastic. So, and then I just I took two steps to my right, and then there's freaking um, the Gun Club, yeah. you know Billy Gunn's kids, the Ass Boys, um, and they're they're again <laughs> just hanging out like. So I talked, you know, talked to them a little bit. I asked them what it was like working with their dad. They, they you know, again, very, it was, it was a, it was a much nicer experience than I thought. I thought it would be a lot more like, you know, get your signature, get out of my face. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like give me, give me your money. And it was much more um, interactive and stuff than I anticipated. Yeah. I kind of wanted it to be a bit more organized. That was the, my only yeah. thing. Uh, but I also know that like, what really was happening here was that specific sponsors of MCW were paying these wrestling guys to be there. And so it was really, it would be really hard for them to have a central kind of thing, but it would have been nice somehow for them to have a zoom call at some point, figure out the table layouts (laughs) and just put down on like a little map of who's at what tables, where the bathrooms are and like run off, 500 copies of that and hand that out at, as people came in the door or something. Yeah. Cause I, I was looking desperately for Tito and I, uh, you know, again, it wasn't a huge place. So I must've circled it like 20 times, like just, you know, thinking maybe I had missed him. And I, I, I stop and ask this staff person and you're like, Oh, we don't know. And I asked the guy at the front door. He's like, yeah, I haven't seen that dude. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you, that doesn't really tell me much. Like, do you know what he looks like? Like, are you, are you familiar with Tito Santana? Uh, and then finally, that one organizer, I don't know why that guy even came up and talked to us about it. We we're just standing there shooting the shit. And he's just like, yeah, Tito Santana texted me. I'm like, is this just something you're going around telling people? Like, I, like, I, I didn't I didn't even know what And to my think. friend Mike, I think, knows him. And so he might have recognized him. And that's why he came over to talk to us. Because uh, uh, our friend Mike, who is a recent beginning to listen to us, uh, mentioned... Uh, had told me a, a bit of a story with, about him, but I don't want to. I don't want to be airing stories here. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this it was a lot of fun, and I mean the coolest part for me, and I'm still talking about it in my to myself in my head really because my wife doesn't want to hear me to talk about them really anymore. Is that we met Demolition, which was yeah. pretty much my favorite tag team along with the Heart Foundation back in the day. Uh, so. It was really cool to meet them. And what was amazing about meeting them really was that they had no line and they're just chilling there and they're there for like a a lawyer, like this law firm had bought the table and hired demolition to come to sit there. And so the, the law firm gives me like a hand, a goodie bag basically. And that I use to put all my autographs in for the day, but like, it also has like pens and keychains and candy in it to try to get me to hire this law firm. Um, <laughs> and like the dude that was working there, I think worked for the law firm and he was super chill about things. So like I had purchased only one autograph of, for demolition, but they signed the, the, the photo, the promotional photo, which uh, the one I chose was them holding the, wwf tag team championship belts but then they just agreed to give me another free signature on one of our business cards and when they saw the business card and the business card matched my shirt they're like oh so what what's what's this shirt what's this business card about and i mentioned our podcast and i told them our website and he was like well what do you guys do on your podcast and i told him very simply uh my friend tim and i we watch wrestling 
And then on like Friday afternoons, we sit down and talk about it for two hours and uh, post it. And he's like, what kind of old wrestling? I was like, well, title is all the WrestleMania. So we've been working our way through the WrestleManias. And I was like, that sounds really cool. Can I have another one of your business cards? <laughs> and so I give him the card and then uh, I give that was. That was Smash that initially asked for the card, I think. And then Axe was like, hey, can I get one of those too? So yeah. I gave him a card. <laughs> he was actually leaning over doing something else when you handed the card to Smash. And he's like, and he like perked up. He's like, oh, give me one of yeah. those too. <laughs> that was great. And around about that time, I had walked up and he's like, oh, here comes your buddy. Because we're obviously wearing the same shirt, um, like a bunch <laughs> of dorks. Um, so, we, you know, we we're just chatting with him a little bit. And he's like, oh, yeah, he was just telling us about the podcast. And I was like, yeah, you know, we were... We were just watching you guys. Uh, you know, I realized I fucked up. I told him that we watched them against uh, Tenryu and uh, Katao. Yeah. And, but that was crushing that match, not yeah. uh, not Axe. Oh, well. And I also told him that, you know, that they had scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, like with the spikes and the hoods and all that stuff. They got a kick out of that. So, yeah, they were they were super nice guys, honestly. I, I enjoyed chatting yeah, with them. It was, it was probably the highlight of that event. And then, like, my friend Mike was with me, and he, like, couldn't believe that, like, Demolition is just sitting there, like, talking away with us, just, like, no problem. Yeah. There's nobody, like, behind us in line or anything, so they didn't care. Uh, and we just we just shot the shit with them for, <laughs> for, like, 15 minutes. It was great. And they were super nice. You and I talked a little bit about this after the fact, and we went looking for some demolition stuff. And this is a good segue, actually. We're going to be recording an episode, I think. There's a demolition sort of, I think it's like one of those Coliseum home video you know, compilation tapes um, on the Peacock. And we we both gave that a watch. And it's incredible. Like they, There's some really quality matches on there against you know, an absolutely stacked tag team division at the time. Um, and those guys were huge. Like it's hard to remember just how over they were, but there was a period from say 89 to, I want to say 92, 93 when they were just like absolutely unstoppable. Um, first as heels. And then when they broke up with Mr. Fuji, then they came back as faces and watching those old matches. I, I sort of have a fresh respect for, you know, the work that they did in the ring and the just again just how big a deal they were back then they were incredibly over uh, as as heels and as faces and it's it's really a spectacular thing it's a phenomenon that we you don't see a lot with with wrestlers i mean the only ones that i can think of that are coming to mind are the road warriors that were that that popular in that kind of style and we know that demolition was was done for once uh the road warriors actually signed with wwf and that was kind of the beginning of the end for for demolition sadly i I think though because their reign was it was huge but it was also relatively short you know three four years um it's quite possible that you know a lot of the folks you know on on either side of our age bracket may not they may have missed it you know what i mean like it was just it was kind of over so yeah they kind of get overlooked i do feel that way like they get overlooked and we can get into this when we actually record the episode but i mean they're not in the wwf hall of fame even though they are the longest reigning tag champions in wwf history it's a travesty honestly and because they've been eligible to be in the hall of fame for so long and they're still not there so yeah let's not uh, get too far down that road we are going to do that special episode um i think you had mentioned we even had a request to do a demolition episode which kind of fortuitous brother-in-law uh brett in delaware had asked uh 
us to talk about demolition and i was like well funny you should mention that we just meant demolition they were super cool and uh it really got our juices flowing and thinking about them so we're going to probably talk about them at some point in the near future and demolition if you guys are listening you know you come on the show anytime you think those business cards are cool wait you actually talk to us yeah, we're far less awkward on the air than what we are in person when yeah. we talk to have to look at people. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll make a segue here. One of the things that I said to uh, Smash um, Barry Darso was, uh, you know, I said, "Boy, they, you know, they sure don't do it like you guys used to do it." And he's like, "He's like, yeah, you got that right," um, which was kind of a a cool exchange. So speaking of not doing it the way they used to do it, I think the next thing in our grab bag here is to talk about WrestleMania backlash. Uh, and I think we feel a little bit compelled to do this because it's sort of like the third night of WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania rewind. Really? It's not even a third night. It's like, let's do WrestleMania again. Yeah. Let's, let's redo some of these matches that we fucked up the first time around. I don't, I don't know. So that was from May 8th, 2022. It's a relatively short card and I, don't think we're going to have a whole lot to talk about, but uh, just wanted to kind of hit some of the highlights and maybe lowlights. And uh, obviously, if you watched it, you have your own comments and thoughts. You can always, you know, tweet us at WrestleMania Pod, shoot us an email at all the WrestleManias at gmail.com, find us on the website, all the WrestleManias.com. Uh, we always like to get your input on this stuff. Yeah. First thing I want to say about Backlash, I'm just going to throw this out there, is that it has almost the same card. Uh, I mean, a large portion of this card is the same, and they finished the show in under three hours. So it's possible. Why does WrestleMania need two nights? <laughs> yeah. Good God. And this definitely this definitely moves along much better than WrestleMania. Uh, a freight train going across country fully loaded moves along better than WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um- so I think, you know, the big attraction for me was the rematch for Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, which started the show. Um, I think we both sort of sort of enjoyed that match from WrestleMania, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I mean, because it just looks so different than everything else that WWE does. And I don't know really why they chose to have that match again. It do- I mean, it doesn't feel like it does anything to help forward Cody in this march of righting the wrongs of his father never winning the WWF championship. So, I mean, that's that's the overall angle that they're shooting for, right? Is is right? Yeah. At least that's what the interwebs has told me and what I got the sense of the little <laughs> bit of WWF or WWE. Sorry, we've been watching too much old school stuff. It's got me saying WWF again. Uh, WWE uh, programming I, I have inhaled. Yeah, and he's he's cut a bunch of different promos on Monday Night Raw, which I know you don't watch, and I only sort of watch. The, the only reason I've seen him is because they, he's been sort of starting the show most of the time. Um, so I watch him for the first you know, 10, 15 yeah. minutes, and then by then I, my attention starts to drift. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'll go watch some glue dry. <laughs> um, I'm going to go paint my shed and watch it dry. Um <laughs> and then like why did so like why did they have this match again i thought this match was sloppy again it's it's the garbage do too much style that cody loves to seemingly do which i mean is kind of fun to see because nobody else is doing this in wwe but yeah it's one of the it's one of the few things that that looks like wrestling right <laughs> i don't i don't know how to describe it except that um because the other stuff that's going on in the show is 
kind of not wrestling anymore. It's it's something else. And we were talking a little bit about how um, sterile yeah. the, the show scenes, how it's so polished and colorful and high gloss that it's it's more like a cartoon than any kind of even sports entertainment is is pushing it. Yeah, you know? like it's kind of like how art exists in the flaws. But there's no flaws in this because there's no risks. There's no accidents, really, except for occasionally when you drop Big E on his head or something like that. There's no there's no suspense. There's nothing there's nothing uh, to like lock your eye onto just because it's just so clean, polished. And it's it's not even like PG anymore. It's it's G it's for general audiences and right there's it's just and it moves at a snail's pace um just because like here we are we're at a pay-per-view a month and a half after wrestlemania and three quarters of the card is exactly the same yeah well and i again i had the misfortune to tune into um Raw this week, and the you'll you'll never guess what the main event on this coming Friday SmackDown is going to be. It involves RKO and the Usos. <laughs> just oh, God, so, right? So how many freaking times can the same four, five, six guys wrestle and still not have their dispute settled? Right? Like it, it really starts to seem like they don't have anybody else and don't know what to do with the people that they have. Yeah, Cody versus Seth, whatever. Um, the the next match was Omos. Uh, with MVP versus Bobby Lashley, there's still an element of you know interest here just because Omos is such a, a genetic <laughs> anomaly, yeah, right? Their WrestleMania match was okay. I enjoyed it. This match was not okay. This match was terrible. It was really bad. Omos telegraphs all of his misses. He very clearly runs slower when Bobby Lashley is going to move and he runs into the turnbuckle. He moves slower. And you can, because he's bigger, his like preemptive like preparations for taking a bump is magnified. So I think. I think that's part of it, but like you can see him, he runs at a different pace and a different gait when he's going to miss. Yeah. He takes like these awkward half steps. Yeah. Um, he need he needs to go back to wrestling school. Like, I think I, I know that Vince loves his giants, right? And he's a huge, he's an intimidating dude. I think he could be a, a really good talent. He's the talking that he's done that I've heard has been decent. You know, he's got kind of a deep, scary voice. He needs to go to wrestling school. And Bobby Lashley is better than this. Bobby Lashley is better than almost anything else on this card, honestly, um, with the exception of maybe of Charlotte Flair. Um, I like AJ Styles, yeah, oh, yeah. too. I think AJ is my favorite yeah. on the WWE roster on the men's side, at least. But he's stuck in this edge edge bullshit. So, yeah. Well, just real quick before we move on, the top of the show on this week's Monday Night Raw was Omos and Bobby Lashley in a cage to start the show. So, so they the put one. a cage match on free television and not at yep. the pay-per-view. Top, <laughs> top of the show, 8, 8, 8 p.m. to 8.20 p.m. or so. And it ended when Omos threw Bobby into the side of the cage and the side of the cage broke away and Bobby landed on the floor with both feet, thus making him the winner. Wow. Yeah. Also, some guy interfered and I had no idea who it was. I thought maybe it was one of the New Day guys at first and then... I 
I, I still don't know who it was actually. So Edge and AJ, I don't know. AJ AJ is is really talented. I agree. Edge is still boring as fuck. I don't and I don't care. Um, I'm tired he of looks his face. Gaunt. <laughs> he needs to eat a sandwich. Oh my gosh! Now he's now he's House of Black Edge. Uh, there was several things with this match that just just uh, Styles takes an amazingly rough bump when he gets catapulted into the corner outside of the ring. That was that was pretty spectacular. AJ does a great job selling to Edge through this whole match, but then they start getting into this like false finishes every ten seconds, which is just exhausting and make makes you realize how long the match is actually going. And so it ends up slow and then they both land their finishers on each other, but it doesn't actually end the match. And so that's dumb. <laughs> AJ's finisher is pretty, pretty devastating and crazy looking and edge. It's a spear. It's a spear. Great. Yeah. Edge has his spear still. But when you look like you're 150 pounds soaking wet, a spear doesn't look like a devastating finisher. No, I'd, I'd say of the three people who use that as their finisher, I think there's probably more um, Goldberg, Roman Reigns, and Edge. I mean, I really think Goldberg's is the only one that looks like it could hurt you, probably because, because he actually did hurt so you. Bad at, <laughs> so bad at wrestling that he actually hurts people. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Rhino had had a good spear. But I mean, oh, the Rhino's dude, was the a dude good one. looked yeah. like a bowling ball rolling at you, so it made sense. Yeah. He was like 90% quad. Yeah. I, I don't understand why this match didn't end in disqualification when Damian Priestley and Finn Balor started fighting inside the ring during the match. Like, that's that's it. That's the ending. That's that's the finish. That's why <laughs> why didn't you stop yeah. it? What is the referee there yeah. for? Now, I will compliment Edge on one thing. So he gets AJ into that weird crossface hold. And the way that he got AJ into it, uh, his hair is blocking his face. And Edge moves his hair to the side so that the camera can pick up AJ Styles' facials of the pain that he's supposedly in from this hold. That's a pro move, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. that actually makes Edge look better too. And so, because if you can see that AJ is in really bad pain, then that makes that makes Edge look better and that he's more devastating. And then I did like that they turn, uh, spoiler alert, Rhea Ripley is heel now, joining yeah. the, the stable here. And uh, I do like that because we actually talked about on the WrestleMania 38 show that if you weren't going to put the title, the tag titles on Rhea and Liv Morgan, what the hell are they doing with Rhea Ripley? Now we know they're turning her heel. It took them six weeks to get to it, um, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, but or seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it's a good move. I, Rhea fits well with, with that. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think the whole her being smiley and happy in a face has not been a particularly interesting move for her. She was so much better as a as a badass heel. And she's in like black leather and black, you know, makeup and like it's not she's that's not and a good short guy look, hair you know? like, and like the sunken in eye yeah. look and stuff like you don't look like you can be happy and good in, in that in that appearance. <laughs> yeah. So that's not um that's not to uh, impugn in any way the the character of our of our goth fans, if we have any. I'm, I'm guessing we don't have any. So after that match ends, it takes ten minutes to get to the next match. 
what is happening in the arena during like these 10 minutes? I can't like, there's like commercials. It's actually like commercials running and stuff like that. So I can't imagine that's a very fun live experience. We went to AEW dynamite and rampage tapings and there was no like 10 minutes of downtime between matches. And that includes commercials and promos. Like what is happening? What, like, how can you, how can these people be having a good time at this show? Uh, yeah, I've thought that quite a bit. Um, I've thought that about Raw and SmackDown these days in particular. And I think one of the things we've probably mentioned before is they will introduce somebody. They'll come down to the ring. They'll take a commercial break. They'll come back. There'll be a promo for something unrelated. And then maybe they'll introduce a second person and then they'll, they'll do like two moves and then they'll go to another break like it's it's interminable and it, it's i have no idea how you would sit there and and watch any of that stuff so i sent you a chart recently that like someone had, had tallied how many minutes of actual wrestling is on each show <laughs> and like monday night raw for its three hours came in at like a half hour or something like that that yeah. sounds about right so like why are you buying tickets to to go see three hours of commercials and promos and 30 minutes of wrestling. Yeah. That sounds awful. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> uh, my favorite match of backlash was actually the next one, just Ronda yes. Rousey versus Charlotte flair. Um, it's a championship and title match. It's the more or less the main event. I mean, the last match is, I guess, billed as the main event, but there's also no title on the line. So there's no, there's really no stakes because they're also going to fight again every damn week until the end of time. Rhonda and uh, Charlotte have some have some heat building, you know. Um, they've they've got a clear good guy and bad guy here, and I will say I really I appreciated this match. I like that they they beat the snot out of each other. It was a uh, I quit match, and they kind of took it all over the arena, um, which sometimes bores me a little bit. They but, did a good job um, with it in this one, I think. They did. They really did. They kept it going. Uh, and some of that shit looked rough, yeah. man. Rhonda was on uh, Raw on Monday, and she had bruises like all over her damn body from from that stuff. Charlotte Flair's entrance, like that gear that she was wearing, oh my god, that was fantastic! And like the look that she has and everything like that coming out of the ring is marvelous and a and a thing of beauty. Like it's just. It's so good, and it's very clear that she's learned a lot from her dad here. There's a ton of stuff happening in this match. Her vocals, every time she's in a hold, oh, God, oh, God, oh, oh, God. <laughs> That's semi-erotic. They were really into it, because at one point, uh, Flair says to Rhonda, I chop like a bitch, fuck you. And <laughs> 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 and like the mic totally picks it up. And then at another point... Yeah. Uh, flair uh, is in some sort of hold and you can hear her scream shit like, <laughs> like the pg era is over when these two are fighting i'm kind of surprised they didn't uh, blade just to you know just to give a double yeah, birds to know, the, the execs the wwe just isn't into that anymore but they should have that would have been i was actually thinking that during this match that um if Charlotte really wanted to go all in, if these two really wanted to go in, Charlotte should have bladed right at her hairline and got her beautiful blonde hair screaming red like her dad. Yeah. Ric Flair yeah. style. Yeah. But uh, Rousey's wrestling still leaves some to be desired. She has the same issue that Omos has is that when she's going to miss her run is different. 
so you can tell that she's going to miss. It was clear during this match, when they were in the ring at least, that Flair was putting herself in very specific position to fall victim to the judo throws that uh, Rousey was doing. And, you know, that's fine, but it's still kind of like, come on, Rhonda, come on. It's very clear that you have the ability and the talent to do this. Let's work it. And now they put the belt on her. So where is she going to go and work it? Um, Unless she like pulls a Bret Hart and starts fighting every week on SmackDown to, to defend that belt. It's not going to happen. You know? Yeah. I did like that. At one point they fought in the lap of a fan too. That was, that was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be willing to buy a ticket for that sort of thing. This is a little similar to their WrestleMania match where you can definitely tell that, you know, Charlotte is carrying the action, right? Like she's, she's doing quite a bit of the work, but overall, overall, I thought a really solid match. I was honestly surprised by the finish. I did not think they were going to put the belt on Ronda Rousey. Um, You know, it does set up Flair to win it one more time, get closer to her dad, 16 time number. But uh, like you said, I, I, I I wonder a little bit about where you go with the storyline once uh, once Ronda has that belt, right? Like, I guess maybe she just, like you said, just kind of sets herself up as a fighting champion and takes anybody who comes at her. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to they had to do it with Charlotte because it's very clear that Charlotte is the best women worker that the company has. And I mean, Sasha Banks is talented. We both like Bianca Belair plenty, but none of them work like charlotte does and it's this i would almost want to see like charlotte fight men like she like how good she worked in this match she was the best worker on this card this night in my opinion um and so therefore this was the best match by far uh in my opinion yeah and she's a legit superstar you know we talk about you know sort of the people that have that have that extra, you know, whatever that is, you know, that it, you know, I'm looking at the card here. I think, you know, it's maybe like her and Roman Reigns who are sort of the only ones who really. They're the only ones that get legit heat. Yeah. Right. And that, cause I think in a way they're the only ones, not the only ones, but they're not winking at it, you know, the way that some of these other people are right. Like they're sort of, I know that kayfabe is dead, but like they're still, adhering a little bit to an older way of doing right. things um, where you, you know, you stay with your, you stay with the illusion, right? Right. And like, as much as I hate to admit it about Randy Orton, Randy Orton is the third one in that list. And it's because they're second and third generation superstar folks here. Uh, I mean, we know Roman Reigns is from the Anuai clan. Kayfabe is running through his veins already. And then to be have been trained by like Afa and and everybody in his family, he knows what's up. Uh, Charlotte is you know the daughter of Ric Flair, the biggest name in wrestling ever. I would I would say that he's better known at this point than Hulk Hogan probably, and is known for being a really great wrestler. She's got big shoes to fill. There's a lot of family pressure there, but also. She's got her dad's charisma, and that carries a lot. And then got Randy, who has now been there forever. He's, oh my God, like... 20 years. And so, 20 years of working, plus coming from Cowboy Bob Orton's loins, you know. He's 
Please don't say loins. <laughs> I mean, he knows what's up, and he he. I mean, in that match, really, him and Roman are the ones that are doing the best work and the best selling in in the six man tag. So, just looking at the rest of the card, the other the other two who were. I think a step down from those three would be, you know, Cody and, and Seth Rollins. And I think they're sort of an interesting yeah. contrast because Cody, again, is a, a second generation. But I, I think he's sort of made himself a public figure in such a way that uh, the, you know, that that illusion, whatever that is, is, is gone. Right. Because one, we just seen him too damn much in all manner of contexts and out there. Um, talking about his own dumbass ideas about things, yeah. and then the contrast uh, is Seth Rollins, who is somebody who is you know tremendously talented in the ring, um, but who really I to me has gotten a lot of TV time, but it's all been this, in this very goofy, cartoonish, I, I don't know what the fuck he's supposed to be thing, where like you can't really take him seriously as a as a person or as a personality. Um, he's sort of like a less well-adjusted joker yeah i would call cody kind of like a bridge between the modern day wrestlers that are taking a wink at the whole concept of the business and stuff like that and the old school right so like he talks about the legacy of his father a lot and stuff like that but i mean his father was you know deep into the kayfabe and like like if his father was like really really over him and stuff like that i don't think you would ever see cody talking to a heel anywhere or if he was face or if he was heel talking to a face you know outside of the ring you would never see that and you wouldn't see him doing these promos where he talks about like he throws in all this wrestling vocabulary and the forbidden door and, right and the talking uh, business heel turns and stuff like that yeah yeah, um, yeah. So I think I think Cody's kind of a bridge, but like Seth Rollins is one of those guys that came off the indie and the lower lower rung companies too. So like he's what a former Ring of Honor champion, I believe, and stuff. So he's got like that weird cred that way, but he's kind of been molded into the WWE mold. But I think that's probably why him and Cody are working this program on Cody's initial return to WWE is because. They both have kind of similar wrestling upbringings professionally. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, two more matches left on this card. Um, Mad Cat Moss and Happy Corbin. Again, this bullshit has been going on for forever at this point. I don't care. Uh, I appreciate that Mad Cat Moss wears suspenders with no that shirts. Looks uncomfortable. Um, it looks uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I, I don't give any fucks about this so, at all. I do love that happy Corbin's source of heat is just a fact that he's happy about his life and people hate him for it. His whole gimmick is that simply that he's happy with the direction his life has taken and people are fucking pissed at him for that. Um, So that's kind of, that's kind of funny. It's a good stick to like the self hating humor of the millennial and uh, Gen Zers, you know, of uh, like the, the super depressing humor uh, it's kind of good jab at that. Like everybody is angry at Corbin because Corbin's happy. <laughs> you can't handle it. But this match is so, this is really where I started thinking that it's so sterile. So like this match, the heat between these two guys is their former, like best friends and partners who have broken up and there's serious heat between them. They're angry at each other. Corbin is fighting dirty and like break going after his Andre, the giant trophy and stuff like that. But then they come to the ring. There's no hot start. There's no getting in each other's face and trash talking. Like, 
when like Austin and the rock were mad at each other, they would either have a super hot start or they would come in and they get face to face and you'd see Austin shaking his head back and forth, jawing away at him. And there's none of that here. They just like the bell rings and they grapple up, they tie up in the middle of the ring and they have a wrestling match. Like, <laughs> what? Where's the, where's the excitement yeah. and the heat? Where's the fight? Where's This is a grudge match. It's not even like a title right. match between two faces that would maybe start like that. This is this is good guy, bad guy, and they're pissed at each other. And they're just like, all right, let's grapple. <laughs> I know that's how I get my emotions out. Like just let's just grapple with it. I yeah, I didn't I didn't care at yeah. all. I don't um did did uh Happy Corbin won, right? It was sort of a dirty finish. Madcap Moss won this match. There was an amusing moment, though, that I I particularly enjoyed. Is that the uh, Corbin has Madcap stuck onto the outside like security barrier and is pounding on his face, and there's a guy in the front row right there, dead center camera in the crowd, wearing a hook shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and like you just get like thirty seconds of this guy in a hook shirt, like pointing at the shirt and pointing at Corbin, and like just like totally into it, like. Well, there's a free AEW commercial right there. <laughs> That's too funny. I'm surprised they let him uh, sit with that down front like that. I know, make him uh, put duct tape over it or something. Yeah, seriously. Make him make him buy a uh, $80 sweatshirt from the merch stand and put over top of it. Yeah, go buy a Bloodline t-shirt. Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That brings us to the Bloodline. Jimmy and Jey Uso and Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman, of course, versus RK Bro, Randy Orton and Riddle, and Drew McIntyre. Um, again, this match lasts for freaking ever. Like, yeah. ever, like, eight different times when I thought, this shit isn't over yet. Um, and the ending to it makes zero sense. It's one of these, it's 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 something I've noticed uh, is very common now on Raw and the other shows where the ending just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, Riddle hits a finisher uh, off of the turnbuckle um, and then almost immediately somebody else comes in and, and lands a move on him and gets the pin. I'm like that doesn't make any sense at all. Like where, where's the momentum? Where's the, where's the drama? You know, it's just like, it's kind of, I mean, kind of like the last match. It's just like, now it's time for the sequence of events to happen. Yeah. And there were moments in this match that I did like, and then there's moments to where I was just like, this is boring. Like, uh, the ref was really slow on getting down for all the pins in this match. And, like, I'm not even really going to pick at it. But, like, it's like it's totally old school for WWE. Sorry. WWE. I got to get used to that again. Uh, ends a premium live event, not a pay-per-view premium live event with a six man tag with nothing on the line. This card is a Monday night raw in 1996. And they, they talked about the Usos and Roman Reigns. Like they're the faces going into this match too, at the beginning. Like, um, I still in general do not like Randy Orton, but what would make me like Randy Orton more right now? is if now is the time for him to bring back his legend killer gimmick for him to be like in my 20 years in the WWE, 
I ended Ric Flair and I ended blah, blah, blah. And I ended Mick Foley and I ended the rock and I, and like, just like start going down this list of like classic wrestlers, like hall of famers that he's beaten. And I think that would be an interesting run for him to do. And that would be fun to see that partnered with riddle. Cause we're already seeing like serious rant, like good cop, bad cop kind of like, like serious funny in the straight man kind of set up with Randy and riddle that it would be fun to see like Randy, like go even deeper into that and be like, I'm the legend killer. Um, yeah. Kind of and the next, the next legend on my list is you Roman reigns. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't understand why drew McIntyre's in this match. I still think in six months, drew McIntyre is going to be, all elite. I don't know why I have that feeling, <laughs> but I do. Even though I would totally support uh, Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns in a Hell in a Cell match at the Hell in a Cell pay per view. Yeah, they're again uh, talking about you know being clear when they're running out of things to do with somebody. I think poor Drew is um, yeah is is getting getting to the end of the the rope there. Yeah. Uh, Roman got amazing heat, probably the best heat of the entire event. When he asks to be tagged in, gets tagged in, looks at Drew, and tags back out. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, that was such a great dick heel move that got the crowd really into the match. That was that was classic. Uh, I actually kind of liked uh, the uh, Michael Cole commentary with Pat McAfee. There was some funny what? lines. So they had a little bit of funny exchange. Like uh, Pat McAfee says, there's not going to be enough CBD oil in Rhode Island to help Riddle tonight. And uh, Michael Cole goes, he would need to go to Massachusetts for that. Because <laughs> he's a pothead. Yeah. Uh, we get it. And then there was a, then at one point, like Roman is holding up his, doing his like one thing, like holding up his pointer finger. And, uh, uh, Michael Cole says, there's a lot of ones going in the sky in Rhode Island tonight. And then um, Pat McAfee says, a lot of the ones are going back at Paul Heyman right now. <laughs> that was good. Nice. Um, but yeah, there was weird things in this. Randy Orton, no cells, a super kick. Like he eats a super kick and then RKO's an Uso. Um, I thought Riddle actually reminded me a lot of Macho Man in this match. Like wow. his chaotic movements and like yeah. the way he ran up the ropes, uh, ran up, ran up the corner to do his flying stuff and stuff like that. And then this match should have ended in the countout. I don't think anybody was paying attention, but at one point, five of the six participants of the match were outside of the ring for a very long time, and the ref just wasn't doing anything about it. He's and catching no one, a smoke break. Right. And no one was distracting the ref either. So I don't know. And then there was no post-match heat. There was, they were just brooding. There was no like extracurricular activities or pushing or like, or like you screwed us. We're going to get you again or anything like that. There were just like camera shots of them sitting around. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, I think it was, it was very typical, honestly, of sort of current WWE product. Um, it is, you know, again, you sort of get the sense. It's just like, here are a sequence of things that are going to happen that have no relation to what has happened before, what's going to happen afterwards. It's just like, we've set aside this particular piece of time and we're going to do these things 
in this time and then that's going to be over and we're going to move on to the next thing so it's a little bit like um like the evening news in that way you know it's like all right weather's done time to move on to sports all right sports is done time for local color you know so like all right like they're going to unify the tag belts at SummerSlam. i'd assume at this point right i would hope so like i mean they keep fucking around about it i don't know if yeah like you can, I can't imagine Riddle and Randy being the first like unified tag champions in like 20 years. Like I can't, I can't see that. And are they going to eventually like actually just have one belt for Roman or are they going to keep them separate and somehow do hijinks and split them up again? Like I, like I thought it was weird that like they unified the belts at WrestleMania, but they still haven't like actually just made one belt. Uh, maybe at SummerSlam, Roman will come out with one belt or something, and then that's when he'll lose or something. Yeah, I'm getting know. a little annoyed by everybody carrying a larger and larger uh, quantity of belts. <laughs> like at some point, they're going to need like a hand truck of the, yeah, <laughs> like even like FTR being AAA champions and Ring of Honor champions. Ring of Honor, like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of belts coming down, and then like Scorpio Sky is carrying around two TNT championship belts, and it's like. All right. All right. You've spent way too much money on belts. Like, you don't just, need the interim one. Once the interim one is, is settled, you don't need it anymore. Put that shit no. in the trash like, no. or put it in a box somewhere. You don't need to carry it around. So, all right. Let's, let's leave backlash behind. Uh, I'm, yeah. I've, I'm tired of talking about it. Um, I think we spent more time talking about it than it definitely deserves. If you're going to yeah. watch it, um, I guess I would say watch the Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair match be done then you're done and that's it yeah that's it actually I read about I the rest of it enough. on like cbs sports or something just <laughs> or you know just listen to us for the results it'll be fine right uh let's get weird sparkling commentary yeah let's get weird let's get weird we've Thank got you, a, Nick. um let's get weird we've got a we've got a, a a weird one um so this again not a not a pay-per-view a little bit out of the ordinary for us where it says a coliseum home video from 1993 it is called Smack'em Whack'em from the WWF. Um, the box promises slamming wrestling action. And uh, I think we can say it probably delivers on that promise. Um, so I, my feeling on this, watching this and tell me what you think, is it was sort of put out to kind of celebrate Bret Hart getting the title and sort of capitalize on that a little bit and put some Bret Hart matches out there on VHS for all the Bret Hart fans to spend their hard-earned dollars on. Um, but, yeah. but, <laughs> but there's some weird shit. I feel more like this is just like, they had a bunch of stuff in their cutting room floor that, that was like, well, I think this will be okay. And uh, so let's, let's just glue it all together. And, uh, Let's get the bushwhackers to remodel a house while we're doing it. <laughs> that well-known framing device, the bushwhackers and Lord Alfred Hayes doing home improvement. So that is sort of the wraparound for these segments. And they have these little comedic sections. Um, the Those wacky bushwhackers are always playing tricks on Lord Alfred Hayes. He gets himself electrocuted uh, and, and looks like he's dead. And they're just like walking around being goofy. Um, he gets some water in the face at one point. Um, the there there's no safety there's no safety monitoring there's no osha it's not it's not a good working 
environment here. It takes so long for them to get to the first match. Like it's just so long. Like it's like easily a 15 minute segment, I believe before we get to the first match. And then the first match isn't really worth getting to. No, the first match is a house show between crush and the berserker from Erie PA. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's kind of random. Um, Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes are talking about why Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State and where they can find that big bell. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes seems to think it's somewhere around Erie, but Gorilla, you know, helps him out, you know, lets him know it's in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, and then they set up a date to go together. <laughs> it's, just, it's like really weird. Well, it's kind of sweet. You know, like Gorilla's yeah. going to show him the... Uh, the Liberty Bell. Yeah, show them the sights. So the Berserker, interesting note, was the Barbarian in the AWA, who we just saw in that Wrestle Rock 86 show, teamed with Bruiser Brody. So if you haven't listened to that show yet, go back and listen to it because it's a freaking nuts. Um I don't know. This again, really random. Uh Berserker drops the crush on his fucking head and a pile driver. Oh again. god, yeah. <laughs> You can you can clearly see his like his head kind of sticking below the berserker's legs when he drops him down, and then they even replay it. Um, oh. so, somehow he he glues his spine back together, yeah. and Crush gets the win. I I don't know what happened there. Yeah, there. This was a weird match. Uh, Crush was way over with the kids. My God, the kids loved him. I mean, I kind of get it. He had a glorious mullet and some beautifully frosted tips on that mullet i mean it, luscious is the only like like a hawaiian rain jungle on his head it's so wow. thick and luscious um every like there's this really like weird no cell collisions in the ring to start the match and then after that every single collision that they have results in someone falling out of the ring <laughs> there's an inordinate number of through the ropes into the floor bumps in this match and then eventually Crush eats a pile driver, but he's fine somehow. And then he puts his skull crushing grip on the Berserker and crushes his skull and he nice. wins. As yeah. as you would expect. Or not. Can we go back to the Bushwhackers and Alfred Hayes Can fucking up a, an old right, house? Mate? Right, mate. Right, mate. Right, mate. Right, mate. Right. Right, so mate. 90, 93, do you think this is before or after they licked your face? This is about the time they did lick my face. Oh, shit. Mm. This is about the time of the heart attack tour. So that's where that happened. Mm. Rich was licked by a Bushwhacker fans. If you get yeah. him yeah. get him a little bit tipsy, he'll tell you the story. But not today. He didn't even buy me dinner. Mm. The next match is uh, good old John Earthquake Tenta versus the Repo Man. This is just another random house show. Just one of those generic primetime wrestling banners up in the rafters. No distinguishing marks. You can't really see the crowd too much. It's like kind of dark. Apparently this one was from Ohio and it was a day or two before or after um, that last match. Um, and my source for this, by the way, is historyofwrestlingblog.wordpress.com. They did a nice little write-up on the smack em, whack em. I think they're maybe the only other people besides us to ever have watched this video. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and Nick, who requested it. Yeah. Um, so, I I don't know. So, um, you know, so Earthquake's wearing his red outfit here. So, I'm assuming that means this is when he was a... Uh, he was a face because he was with the typhoon yes. and natural disasters, right? Yes. Uh, and, and Repo Man old, is uh, working heel. Good yeah. old Barry Darso. We met him. Yeah. 
We didn't I, bring up we didn't bring up Repo Man. Well, no, way. we 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 dodged that topic very much. So, um, like I just put down that Repo Man was going to die in this match, and then he actually <laughs> and then he actually almost does. Uh, near the end of the match, he slips from the top rope, and Tenta catches him. Like it's very clear that <laughs> that's not what was supposed to happen, and Tenta catches him and saves his life, and then crushes his chest with the earthquake finisher. <laughs> Yeah, it was a rough match. He, um, Repo Man does this really weak ass clothesline from the second turnbuckle, um, and yeah, it's a power slam, big old elbow, sit down splash, game over. Um, very unceremonious. Um, so you know what? I never noticed uh, going back to Demolition for a sec, watching that uh, that special. I never noticed that Smash had a mustache like under the face paint. Um, or I didn't remember that part anyway. Yeah. Uh, so when he became Reaper Man, he just kept the same stash, um, which is very just cut you know, his hair and yeah, stop doing the very convenient. Man. Got a long Ranger mask and tights <laughs> that have tire tracks on them that don't line up with the top and the bottom, and yeah. went to it. Um, just like an actual Repo Man, <laughs> and got a hook. You got a hook too. What a <laughs> what a terrible gimmick. It's not his fault. I blame no. Vince. Yeah. 100%. So the next piece on this tape, speaking of things that last forever, is called Cooking for the Single Man, but it's actually Mean Gene, Mr. Fuji, and Yokozuna at a Japanese restaurant. And Mean Gene is basically just um, interrogating Mr. Fuji. Well, he's interrogating Yokozuna via the interpretation of Mr. Fuji about how much Yokozuna eats. Um and he's I mean, passively fat shaming Yokozuna through this entire thing. <laughs> that's the whole thing. point of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. It goes on too long. It initially is kind of kind of humorous, uh, especially when they're like, so like it's like a hibachi grill kind of place. And so there's this one bit that's really, really kind of funny where like uh, Mr. Fuji is like, oh, cook more, cook more. And, and the chef is like sweating and he's just like, I don't know what <laughs> yeah. else more to cook. And like, so he's like chopping up more steak and like, and then he's like, shrimp, put on the shrimp, put on the shrimp. And like the chef pours out like five pounds of shelled shrimp onto the grill. And he's like, make the rice, make the rice. And like the chef has got sweat running down his face. <laughs> so like, that was, that was funny, but it's just like, Every single time it was me and Gene just chiming in. You're going to eat that? I could never <laughs> eat that. Oh, my God. You've eaten so much. You ate all this sushi. I don't know about raw fish. It's just like, uh, this is exhausting. They try to get me and Gene to use chopsticks and he like he has them like backwards. And like it's it's very it's very it's bad. I'm pretty sure me and Gene knew how to use chopsticks. Like he he traveled a lot like. Also, Yoko uh, takes his chopsticks apart and rubs them together at the table, which is um, considered rude in like Japanese culture. And I know he wasn't actually Japanese. Um, yeah, but like somebody who was would not have done that. Uh, you know? Do you, you think the WWF had a dramaturg? Like, what do you? Th- <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. They don't, don't have know. a guy researching. Like, is this proper <laughs> Japanese culture? No, just make him gain weight. Put this silly looking thing on him and. He's a sumo wrestler. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. He eats like four dozen shrimp easily. Like they're just in a giant pile, which is not how hibachi cooking works. The guy didn't throw a single shrimp in anybody's mouth. No. He didn't make an onion volcano. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. He didn't make it do the choo-choo train. <laughs> uh, a bunch of horse shit. 
<laughs> he didn't juggle the eggs. No. Like, I don't uh, want to rip off. They got ripped yeah, off at this the one. Worst hibachi chef ever. He deserved to be sweating. I hope Yokozuna, like, put him in a in a hold after that. Oh, like, this bit is, like, 10, 15 minutes long, too. Oh, it's so, so long. It's, it's so really, long. It's, it's exhausting to watch. Um, it's funny for a moment, and then it's just like, okay, come on. Like, there's, like, 30 seconds of good writing for this 10 minutes. Oh, it's like segment. a Saturday Night Live bit. Yeah, also the uh, the title, The Cooking for the Single Man, is a, is a total misnomer. So, I mean, I guess, technically, the hibachi chef is cooking, you know, five pounds of shrimp and a 40 pounds of rice for a single man, but that's not, well, anyway, again, talking about this way too much. So we get back uh, into the action. So now we're actually on to Bret Hart. We got to set up like what is happening here without, so suddenly we just transitioned to Gorilla Monsoon and Bret Hart standing in the parking lot of a random building. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't tell where they were supposed to be. It kind of looked like, um, Kind of look like the Griffith Observatory in LA, honestly. Right. Like, I don't, we don't know where they are, but they're just standing out in the parking lot. And like, Gorilla Monsoon's like, You're a great fighting champion. We love you, Brett. Blah, 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 blah. And like, and then Brett like gives this like really awkward kind of like, Well, I said I would be a fighting champion. Like, and it's, it doesn't, why? Like, why is this here? And like, it's out of nowhere too. So like, we had like the, the framing element of the bushwhackers remodeling a house. And now suddenly we have gorilla monsoon narrating a special with Bret Hart. In yeah. A and the bushwhackers, I don't think come back until the very end of the tape. No, they're gone. <laughs> and there's just no, yeah, no transition, no nothing. Um, it's very strange, but, but, but apparently um, this is the very first ladder match ever. Right. Um, At least in WWF history in WWF. Yeah. Um, um, Shawn Michaels is the challenger. He's managed by Sherry. We love her. Oh, um, yeah. Brett is the champ. There's a, there's unlike other ladder matches, there's only one ladder. It's very clear. <laughs> yeah. That this is their only ladder and they can't have anything happen to it. So, but I, actually I, I really enjoyed this match. This was, uh, it's interesting to watch the beginning of something like this. Right. And like, we know where the ladder match went, obviously. Um, and you but see elements of yeah. where it's like it's like it's like the very start of of something that's brewing in WWF. Like it's it's clear. I just want to say that like this is the match that like indicated to me that like this video was not very widely viewed when it came out. Because if any of my wrestling friends in high school, because this came out when I was in high school, had seen this video and seen Brett versus Sean in a ladder match. We would have been talking about it. Yeah, and you would have heard have, about it for sure. We would have known yeah. about it. And I didn't really learn about the existence of this match until maybe a couple of years ago, poking around, like looking for like old footage of ladder matches. And then it was like, then came across that uh, one uh, WWF VHS. It's like most unusual matches. And I believe this match is also on that um, as their first ladder match. And. I can see why they, they went with doing this, but Brett isn't exactly the best person to have in a ladder match. This isn't his wheelhouse, even though I think the the concept was introduced by him from everything. I would I've agree. Read. I mean I think they, they make the best of it, right? But it's definitely it's not it's not what he does best. We'll see what he does best actually later on this tape yeah. where we get him and Miss and Ric Flair together. Um 
So Sean makes uh, makes the first attempt for the ladder. The ladder is, is perched up the aisleway, so he sprints down for it. Um, and the first time he tries to climb it, of course, we get the obligatory Sean Michaels ass crack uh, exposure, which I think yes, must thank you must have been in his contract or something. Like, look, yeah. I get to show my ass crack once per match. Yeah, every time you're videoing, my ass needs to be visible. Um, <laughs> but like Gorilla and Alfred weren't very interested in the action of this match too much. No. They were very interested in the breast tattoo that Sherry has. Um, and speaking of Sherry, you can hear her giving crap to people through the whole match in the background, but you can also hear some kids that are sitting ringside, like giving her the business. There's a, there's a, like a loud, like several chants of shut up Sherry coming from kids ringside, which was every time that she talked, which was great. She's drawing heat and she's barely doing anything, which is vintage. Sherry. She was an artist. Also, that's just disrespectful from those kids. Like, come on, man, little shits, little shits. Um, yeah, I mean, so as far as ladder matches go, this I don't think this is as good as um, the one with Sean and Razor uh, from WrestleMania 10. No, they have a bit better timing with the ladder in that match, but there's some yeah. good spots in this match. Brett eats a really hard whip into the ladder set up into the corner, and you can hear the crowd gasp. Like, this is the first time that they've ever seen someone hit with a ladder violently like that. And all I could think of was like, imagine if you could go back in time and show them a TLC match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They, they, their heads would explode in terror. Like they wouldn't know what to do. Um, and eventually through this match, you see that the ladder has picked up some torque and is definitely having trouble standing up, which is makes, makes actually a bit more, uh, su- um, suspenseful of a finish. Yeah. So Michaels gets up, um, Gets up pretty close. He's like, almost getting there, almost getting there. And Brett uh, kicks him off, and, and Michaels gets crutched on the top rope. Um, sort of a classic ladder match spot, or what will become a classic ladder match spot, I would say. Um, and then Brett can sort of sprint up the ladder and grab the belt for the win. So it was, um, yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm glad we got to see it. Again, I I actually I didn't know it existed, so I appreciate Nick uh, calling this tape to our attention so I had a chance to watch it. So Sean is in transition period here. He's still like, so like Sean uses the super kick on Brett and, but like Gorilla Monsoon still calls it the reverse crescent kick. And then when Sean does a side suplex on Brett, that's when Gorilla Monsoon goes, there it is. There's that side suplex by Sean Michaels. Like, like, so like Sean is still like, not sure what his actual finisher is at this point, which is also an interesting kind of thing to see in his timeline. But yeah, this match was was fun. It was it was a interesting thing to see, and you can see the seeds of the future in this match, which is what I you know I always enjoy that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, so something I would say is not a step forward is this next match. Uh, unfortunately, this is Bret Hart versus Kamala, the Ugandan giant, with uh, both Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi as his manager. There, this is a weird match. Um, I'm it's, not sure. It's straight up Slaughter versus Kamala again. Yeah. But with Bret Hart instead of Sergeant and, Slaughter. But the order, why why put it on the tape in this order? Like the 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 latter match with Sean and the main event here with Ric Flair are the two big ones. And this is this is several tiers down. Um 
it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't maybe build because it's like, it was just like the right length. I don't, I don't know. Just doesn't like make any damn sense. It doesn't it's not Brett's best match? It's not Kamala's best match. It's I think it might be one of. Did they say that it's one of Brett's first title defenses? Possibly something like that. Oh, maybe. Um. So maybe that's why it's in. Oh, here. maybe yeah, maybe it's chronological. But, but it's I, not know. chronological. He doesn't win the. He he is intercontinental champion in the ladder oh. match. He is heavyweight champion. Oh 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 oh. In this okay. match with Kamala, and then he wins the heavyweight match with against Ric Flair coming up. So it's not chronological either. I think it's just because they want to have the the spectacle match, and then like like your typical match kind of like bring down the energy and then jack it way back up when you get to the story of how Brett wins the title in Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't actually, I don't have too much to say about this one. Actually there's uh Brett, yeah. Brett does a standing drop kick that it almost gets Kamala off his feet. That part was pretty cool. Um, there's some, you know, Brett ducking out of the way. So that Kamala hits his managers um, and then, Kamala splashes Harvey Whippleman at the end. Uh, yeah, and there's a there's a titty grab too. Yeah, uh, Kamala grabs <laughs> Brett's tit for a while too. So it's it's got everything that that you see. We don't need to talk about this match again because we talked about it with Kamala versus Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, but now it, in at Wrestle Rock, but now it's his. Yeah. So if you want to see Kamala grabbing people by the tit, check out that Sergeant Slaughter match from Wrestle and, Rock and him accidentally like the ending too with like them trying to hold Brett down and like uh they f- and Kamala goes for the flop and misses and hits uh Whippleman you know it's like everything <laughs> happened yeah. here um so yeah it's basically the same match right, so we go back to uh Gorilla and Brett outside of the stadium or wherever the hell they are at I don't know outside of the Tim Hortons uh, I don't know um and to introduce the this final match here, well, no, it's not the final match actually. It's it should be the final match, but it's not. Um, but of course, it's Bret Hart versus Ric Flair uh, with Mister Perfect from Saskatoon for the belt. Bret says at the top that he sprained his ankle and dislocated his finger relatively early on in this match. So um, you can I guess watch it and see if you can spot where those things happen. So first of all, I, this is this is an awesome match. It's yes. It's kind of old school. It's like sort of slow and grinding and back and forth and probably would be considered boring by sort of today's flippy, uh, you know, swan dive over the top rope standards. But it's very, again, sort of classical and and technical. Rick is selling the knee the whole time. Um, There's lots of comebacks and reversals. Uh, I yeah, one of the things that I noted is, you know, in the same way that we really love to hear Jr. calling those Steve Austin matches, I really love hearing Gorilla Monsoon call his Bret Hart's matches because yeah. he, um, you know, his insistence on his sort of the technical vocabulary really fits Bret's approach. And also, in the same way that Jr. is, is a big fan for Austin, you know, Gorilla is an obvious fanboy for Bret. Um, yeah, so he he's... he came. He came up with the excellence of execution, which of course became, you know, one of Bret's yeah. standby. Yeah, this this match is a doozy and a treat and is the number one reason why to watch this this uh this special. Um I did have one comment is that they use a MIDI recording, like MIDI instruments, like something from like a like your nineteen uh, nineties Tandy PC of also Sprock Zarathustra, like 
can they not get an actual recording of that song for Ric Flair? Like you got electric guitars and, and drums and synths for Brett, but you can't you can't license or even find a public domain recording of also Sprock Zarathustra to use to introduce Ric Flair. Like Christ, even in, like the uh, Jim Crocker Promotions had <laughs> had a real recording of that song. Uh, stop using the MIDI. Anyways, um, <laughs> maybe it's uh, maybe it's just Saskatoon. Somebody forgot to pack it for yeah. the trip or whatever. It's so crazy to me that this this happened at a house show and that they saved it for a VHS. Yeah, release. it's nuts. Um, I guess in today's in modern market that this that's this doesn't make sense. But I guess back then, I know that back then in the day, the real money actually came from the house shows. And that the money wasn't really in the TV shows. The TV shows served as stirring up entrance uh, interest in getting people to go to the. But house this shows. is Saturday Night's main event material, if I've ever seen yeah. it. You know, yeah. Um, they could easily have have thrown NBC this on one of those time. shows. Yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, and this match just starts off so great. They grapple, they break up, they grapple, they break up, and then f- then they just stand there, and Flair stares Brett right in the face and goes, "Woo." <laughs> like it's not even a big loud one it's just a gentle Ooh. and oh my god it's this oh you can see that it gets under brett's under, under brett's skin it irritates him oh it's so good i thought brett actually looked a little nervous at the beginning of this match i don't know what you thought about yeah that. I, you know maybe it's because he knew that it was for the you know that he was getting the belt or maybe, yeah. you know maybe it's just being there with flair i don't know um I mean, both of those are good reasons to be nervous because, I mean, you're about to become champion and you're going to take it off possibly the greatest champion of all time in professional wrestling. But once they get started, man, it's it's on like it's really there's no nerves kind of once, you know, once we get once we get into this thing. Yeah, they have they have spectacular timing just as you're tired of like one of them being in control. The tide of the match shifts. And it goes back and forth like that, like five or six times. And every once in a while, just at the right time, Flair would take a powder out of the ring. And you'd see Brett get irritated. And Flair would just like strut around, get himself back together, and then get back. Like, it was just so good. And like, the crowd was kind of for both of them. But like, they're definitely like pro-Brett. Saskatoon. They're telling, they're just telling such a great story. And it feels almost like kind of like a passing of the torch almost too, a little bit. And they're just back and forth. And, but like, Brett is also working a little heelish. He's doing a little bit of dirty stuff. He's using the ropes for leverage on holds and stuff like that. And it's because like Flair has irritated him enough with like ducking out of the ring a little bit, giving him that little, ooh, <laughs> you know, like these little things have finally got like Brett. Brett's temper firing, you know, and stuff like well, that's, that. That's how you piss off a serious technical guy, right? You, right. You make a joke out of, out of wrestling and you like, you let your personality get in the way of the, of the art form of the business. Right. And so it's a, it's a perfect matchup for that reason. Um, I really like, you know, Brett goes into his, uh, you know, his moves of doom, you know, he has that kind of sequence of things that he always sort of uses yeah. to wrap up a match and a standing knee drop and then a backbreaker and then the elbow from the second rope. And then that snap suplex, and you're like, okay, here we go. We're winding it up. But then like, Flair backs him into a corner um, and chops him. And I love this moment so much. Brett takes his straps down 
so that Flair can get a clean chop on his chest. Like, he's yeah, like, he's like, come on, motherfucker. He doesn't say that, but yeah, he like, calls him out. He just, he's, yeah, he's like he locks eyes with Flair and lowers his, his, uh, yeah, his straps. Like, and you don't see Brett use that lowering the straps move very often. It's no. not like how Kurt Angle or Jerry Lawler did it like almost every match. When Brett did it, you were like, oh shit, oh, shit. yeah, oh shit, it's on. <laughs> um, and, Oh, you know, there's, there's just, there's just so much to unpack with this match. Um, so like Brett does his, does his famous front turnbuckle bump where he hits the turnbuckle with his chest. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense because you see everybody else is able to turn around in time, but for some reason, Brett can't in this match. It made sense because flair actually whips him into the corner from like the middle of the ring so there he doesn't have as many steps to take so it makes sense that he runs into it and so it's like those little tiny technical details that are really putting this match over and it's and like flair is like intentionally like covering his covering the ref's view to use a closed fist on brett's face in the corner you know it's all these great things and flair though shows off some some real moves too. And you see him like uh, one that I really noted was that like, he does a knee drop onto Brett. So like he drops Brett onto his knee and then without letting go of Brett's smooth right into a figure four on the mat. Like it's all one motion. Yeah. That was and, a beauty. Oh my God. It's so good. And you can hear both of them vocalizing through this match too, especially flair, you know, it's 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 fun that we're talking about this match and we're talking about the Charlotte Flair Ronda Rousey match that we have you can see some parallels here not saying that Ronda Rousey is anywhere near as good as Bret Hart but there's you can see the influence of back and forth here with Rick and Charlotte and you have you have Rick screaming to oh god oh god please no please no oh god yes. you know and you just hear, oh, oh, like it's, it's so good. And then like you hear Brett like grunting with things and stuff too. So like they're like, they got everything firing on all cylinders here. Yeah. Oh no, my it's, God. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so Brett, uh, Brett hits him with the superplex off the top and then he gets the sharpshooter and he's, he's got that baby locked in there. Mr. Perfect's coming up to interfere, but he's not able to get there. And Flair finally taps and Brett gets the win and the belt Um, place goes nuts. Um, Five star match for sure. If you haven't seen it, Um, smack him, whack him. (laughs) Just like the box says slam and wrestling action. And what I really also loved about this match is that. So several of the Ric Flair matches that we've seen in the WWF context, the matches are more spectacle chaos, right? This match didn't have any of that bullshit happening around it. This was Ric Flair working in the ring versus Bret Hart working in the ring. There was no, like nothing like with macho man where we had Sherry and Elizabeth, like causing havoc around the whole match and people flying everywhere. And like, now, I mean, there's something to be said about those matches. They're great. And Ric Flair, was amazing at doing those, but this match also showed the chops that Ric Flair has of working like a straight match. And that is just, 
something to behold when you can when you get to see that and you get to see that with Bret Hart yeah, and, too. A, and a clean finish in the middle of the ring you know no they could have easily sort of overbooked that have perfect come in do some sort of angle there but right. they they you know he sort of makes the attempt because he's the heel he's got to make the attempt right but like they don't actually go there um and, and i think that was great i mean that doesn't that makes it a uh makes it a clean win for brett makes him legitimate as a champion um he beat literally the best guy out there um to take yeah. that belt and it's and flair probably intentionally said that like if you're going to make a make brett to be a legitimate champion we can't have any shenanigans going down um and that's really where that strength comes from in brett's title reign is that he beat flair fair and square right there in the ring um so that was fantastic and there's some weird commentary through this match too though (laughs) i just have to point out lord alfred hayes is obsessed with cameraman number five (laughs) He's just constantly like, there's another shot from cameraman number five. Cameraman number five is doing a fantastic job. He's the one that's getting all these great angles. And then at one point, uh, Flair's ass gets exposed as well in a roll-up. And Gorilla says, we just became X-rated, Alfred. And then Alfred says, we just saw some heavenly body. (laughs) It's like, oh my, Lord Alfred. Like, I think Lord Alfred Hayes wants to take cameraman number five on a date to Philadelphia. I think so too. See his Liberty Balls, am I right? <laughs> Ring his bell. Hey yo. Woo. See the see the giant crack. All right. <laughs> Before we get too X rated, um, there's actually I so they go back to the Bushwhackers, uh, working on their house. I don't think that house is getting done anytime soon. Um like is that the basement of the McMahon Mansion or something? Like what maybe. the hell's going on? Yeah, I think, I think there's maybe there that's the last contractor we hired. That's uh, just <laughs> um but there's actually one more match. Um, Undertaker and Razor Ramon is on here. Um, and I'm like, I'm again, I'm watching this tape. I'm like, what the hell? Um, Alfred Hayes refers to Razor Ramon as a dashing, handsome Latino, which is hilarious. Uh-huh. Yeah. So cameraman <laughs> number five, we just saw a heavenly body dashing yeah. Latino young man. Um, they do both shit on Bobby Heenan a lot at the start of this match, including saying that your Bo- your friend Bobby Heenan smells like mothballs. <laughs> I think that's weed. I think yeah. they smell the weed. Yeah. Um, Razor starts by running away, which is probably smart. Uh, and then he throws all of the offense that he has at the Undertaker. But, um, of course, the Undertaker keeps keeps getting up there's actually a couple of impressive moves from scott hall here he does this yeah. really uh badass side slam did you see that yeah he like freaking picks up the undertaker like and just you know, it was nuts and then he yeah. hits three four five six elbow drops in a row um but of course you know and Paul all Bear, of them look beautiful yeah, they're great all yeah perfect form on all six of them and it's like again give razor ramon all the money give him all the money Make him take the vitamins and say your prayers. He's your new Hulk Hogan. Just such a, yeah, uh, such a talent. Yeah. Um, But I did think that this match was interesting because Undertaker no sells like everything in this match. And yet somehow that left room for Razor Ramon to look really good in this match. So it was interesting how a no sell approach had the ability to make the other guy. Look oh, that's good. an interesting observation. I, yeah. He gets to do all of his moves. They just don't have any effect. <laughs> right. And he and does, like, he does them really well. Like you said, and you see like razor show 
facials too. So he gets to express emotion. So like he starts. So like at the very beginning of the match, he isn't scared. He's just standing there. He's not impressed. He's just like bobbing his head back and forth, looking cocky at the undertaker, like, Ooh, spooky guy, you know? And then by the middle of the match, he's showing real frustration on his face. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then by the end, he's just like, you know what? I, nothing's gonna, nothing's working here. And it totally fits his character to just be like, well, screw it. I'm going to leave. And he just, he just walks out of the out. ring yeah. and takes the count out. Like that's the end of the match. Um, it's interesting to end <laughs> a two hour VHS tape of hard hitting action with a count, an out. intentional count out, no less. <laughs> right. An intentional count out, but it's an interesting match. And like, if this match had been earlier on, I would have been like, this was a good match, but it doesn't make sense to put this after Ric Flair versus Bret Hart for the heavyweight. Title. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if I were putting this thing together, I would actually drop everything except those two main Bret matches and this match, and maybe found some other stuff to throw in here instead. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of smack em, whack em, VHS from 1993. It also brings us to the end of this sort of grab bag episode of all the WrestleManias. We hope you've enjoyed uh, listening along as we talked about Celeb Fest 4 and all the cool wrestlers we met, uh, WrestleMania Backlash and all the disappointment we felt and the smack em, whack em. Um, again, thanks to Nick for that request. Um, and keep those coming at Twitter at WrestleMania pod, uh, all the WrestleManias.com on email at all the WrestleManias at gmail.com. And we, you know, love hearing from you, love hitting your feedback. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up, Rich? Um, I'll see if I can get some of our pictures from Celeb Fest up on our website here. Uh, they're floating around on our uh, Facebook page. So check those out if you want to see uh, Jake the Snake Roberts giving me the middle finger and and uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine showing off his uh, his uh, Hall of Fame his ring. Hall of Fame ring, yeah. And uh, me looking overly excited and kind of gross next to Sting. <laughs> So. And me and me being like a foot, a uh, head and a half taller than Haku. Yeah, um, <laughs> I kind I kind of wanted him to super kick me in the chin just to see if he could still do it. Yeah, but no luck. Yeah, that maybe would have cost extra money. I don't know. We could have. We should have asked Sting to put us in like the uh, Scorpion Deathlock or something. Yeah. Like that. Next time, Slugfest yeah. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think uh, they have announced October. So. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, we're going to sign off for today. So once again, thanks for listening, everybody. And so long. So long.